But welcome, everybody. We are so glad to see you back. And I want to say thank you to everyone who has helped us, uh, those of you that uh, have been working behind the scenes. Uh, you know, a lot of times I get the credit, but the staff is the one who's doing all the work. Will you help me say thank you to all of our staff who's worked so hard? I also want to say thank you to two or three of our ladies who've been working very hard to make the mask. You say, where's yours, preacher? Mine's here in my pocket, and I will use it as I get up close to you. But uh, they have worked very diligently to make extra ma masks. We've held some of them back. They're not all out today because we know we'll have people coming next week and the following weeks that'll need one. Uh, but we want to say thank you to those who have been making those masks for us. We appreciate them very, very much. And to be honest with you, some of you look a lot better with your mask on, and I just uh, want to make a fashion statement uh, for you. We want to welcome those of you that are joining us live. I've been here in an empty auditorium for the last 12 weeks until today, and some of you are still at home watching. We're glad you've tuned in. We welcome you to the service. We understand until you get a comfort level that you can't come back, or maybe because of health issues you can't come back. But we will continue to live stream our services 9.30 and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and we hope you'll continue to join us online. And so it's good to see all of you today. Thank you for being a part uh, of this service. You want to find your place in your Bible at Philippians uh, chapter 1. We began a study in the book of Philippians several weeks ago before the pandemic hit, and we took a break until about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and we came back into this study, and we're going to continue it today. The overall theme of the study is joy, joy for the journey. But today we're talking about specifically our citizenship in heaven. And I invite you to follow along with me beginning in Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Let's pray together as we begin today. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be gathered together again as your people to worship you Lord, I'm so moved by the number that came to the earlier service at 8, and now this incredible crowd that's here for the second service, and I know that there'll be others coming at the 11 o'clock service. And Lord, this won't have to happen forever, but for the immediate future, this is what we need to do. And I pray, Lord, for flexibility. I pray for understanding. I pray for compassion. I pray, Lord, that our people will recognize that the concern for others is more important than their own preferences. So, Lord Jesus, as we meet together today, we are thankful for this privilege. And we pray for our nation today. Lord, we have seen things in the last days that have so broken our hearts and burdened our hearts. And, Lord, we pray for peace in this land. We pray, Lord, that there would be a revival that would sweep this land and turn our hearts back to the one who was the prince of peace. And that, Lord Jesus, that we would follow you and obey you. <clears throat> But Lord, I pray for our police officers. I pray for those EMTs and firemen. I pray for all of those that are involved in uh, high office. We pray, Lord, for wisdom and understanding. We pray, Lord, for open hearts to hear the hurts and the pains of others that so often we've closed our hearts and minds to. So Lord Jesus, please bring healing to our land. In your name I pray, amen. 
I want to tell you a story that I probably have told you before, but it's a good way for me to begin the message today. When we were just married about a year, a little over a year, Mary and I, um, we had the privilege of being able to make a journey to the Holy Land. We borrowed $3,000. I suppose in today's dollars, that's been more than 40 years ago, so so I suppose in today's dollars that'd be more like ten dollars or $15,000, but it was a lot of money to us, and we were newlyweds, and we, you know, we weren't sure exactly how we were going to do it, but we were thankful to have the opportunity. And there was a group of people from our church that were going to the Holy Land, and we wanted to be a part of that. It was a good opportunity. We didn't have children yet. Uh, we knew that we were going to be in the ministry all of our lives, and we wanted to be able to see some of the places that we've read about and we talk about and we point people to when we open the Scriptures. So we took that journey. We were there probably uh, seven days, I think, in Israel. Two days, we came back through Athens, Greece, Uh, Went to the Parthenon and to the Acropolis, down to Corinth, uh, visited there. Mary and I got lost in downtown Athens um, with a political rally coming down the street, not able to speak the language, trying to find the taxi cab driver that could get us back to our hotel. We finally went to Rome, Italy, spent a day in Rome, didn't see much there, but saw our missionaries that were there. And then we were headed back to LaGuardia in New York. As the plane lined up to land in LaGuardia, you could see off in the distance as the sun was coming up, you could see off in the distance uh, the Statue of Liberty. And as the plane was descending and we got closer and closer to the ground, suddenly across that entire plane, everyone began singing, God bless America. God bless America. I think, if I remember correctly, we sang that song until the wheels on the plane touched down. I sort of felt like the Pope uh, sometimes does when I got off the plane. I wanted to get down on my knees on the ground and kiss the ground. I was glad to be back in America. I loved being able to visit Israel. I loved being able to visit Athens, Greece, and Rome, Italy, and those were wonderful things that we will never forget, and we have pictures from to this day. But the fact of the matter is there is no place like home. This is the greatest place on the planet. I don't want to live anywhere else. I'm thankful with all of her flaws that God has allowed me to live in America. And with living in America, we are citizens of this country. And with that citizenship comes certain responsibilities and certain obligations. There is a way in which we are to conduct ourselves as American citizens As you think about that citizenship that we understand from an American point of view, I want you to understand that that's sort of what the Apostle Paul is talking about in these verses that we've read today, except he's talking about their Roman citizenship. He uses an interesting word here in verse 27. He begins by saying only, which some translations don't translate that word, but it means just one thing. I've got one thing to say to you. He says, let your conduct be worthy. You see the word conduct? That word is the word politoumai. And I don't want you to remember the word necessarily. I just want you to hear the, the beginning of that word, poli, polis. It means city. It's talking about citizenship. It's the only place in the writings of the Apostle Paul that he uses this particular word to refer to citizenship. Most translations don't translate it as citizenship. They translate it as conduct because it's supposed to be conduct that is worthy of the citizenship that you enjoy. We find that little word polis in a number of uh, city names, even in America, Minneapolis, uh, Annapolis, Indianapolis. 
You so you get the idea that what he's talking about here, when he's talking about conduct, our conduct, he's talking about a conduct that is worthy of the citizenship and of the gospel that we proclaim. In other words, we're to live in a way that demonstrates that we understand that we're not just citizens of America, they weren't just citizens of Rome, but that we are citizens of a heavenly city, a place where Jesus is king and where he rules and his authority is sovereign. And our lives are supposed to be lived in a way that reflects that kind of an understanding that we are citizens of heaven and we're to live worthy of that citizenship. Philippians 1.27 in the New Living Translation is put this way. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is going to use Roman citizenship as an illustration, as an example of how these Christians, we Christians, should be living according to and worthy of our heavenly citizenship. Now that would have been an important illustration to the people in Philippi. Uh, You have to understand that Philippi was a Roman colony. It was 800 miles from the city of Rome, but it was a Roman colony. And it was so because some 90 years before the writing of this book, Caesar had had a civil war with two of his generals. And Philippi had stood with Caesar. And when Caesar won that victory, he rewarded the people of Philippi by including them and making them one of the, uh, one of the colonies of Rome. Uh, Many of the Roman authorities, when they would retire, they would retire to this place called Philippi. In Philippi, you spoke Latin. You wore Roman clothing. You used Roman money. You followed Roman customs. You were a Roman citizen. And so the Apostle Paul comes and he uses that little word, translated conduct, but specifically referring to citizenship, conduct that is worthy of your citizenship. And those Uh, Roman citizens living in Philippi would have understood exactly what the Apostle Paul was saying. He was saying, as you live to a certain level as citizens of Rome, you are to live to a certain level as citizens of heaven. And he was encouraging them and giving them instruction about this kind of life that they were to live. He goes on through here, having now given them the illustration of what he's talking about, and he lists four specific things that are worthy citizenship, that ought to characterize the lives of every one of us who are citizens of heaven. By the way, you know how you become a citizen of heaven, don't you? You're born into the family of God, and it makes you a citizen of heaven. You know why I'm a citizen of the United States? I was born here. Yes, there are people who are naturalized citizens, but I was born here. When it comes to citizenship in heaven, there is no naturalization process, no works to go through to get there. It is by being born again that we are citizens of heaven. And the Apostle Paul comes and he says, listen, as citizens of Rome, now citizens of heaven, you're to live worthy, a conduct, obligations, responsibilities, to live in such a way that demonstrates a respect for the one who is your king. And now he lists four very specific things that are worthy of citizens of heaven. First of all, worthy citizenship means standing fast. Worthy citizenship means standing fast. 
I invite you to look back at verse 27. Only, just this one thing he says, let your citizenship, your conduct as a citizen of heaven be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, and here it comes, that you may stand fast. Worthy citizenship means standing fast. Worthy living is not abandoning faith, but it's standing firm in the faith. We should stand fast in our devotion to our Lord, to the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We should never be ashamed of him. We should never fear speaking of him. We should never shy away from him. Standing fast means devotion to his church. His church is the embassy that he has placed in the world. You realize that all over the world, America has embassies in different countries. That little piece of property where that embassy is belongs to the United States of America and is ruled by the United States of America. Everywhere there is a gospel preaching church, there is an embassy of heaven in this world where the rule of God is to exist. And do you know who lives at the embassy? The ambassador. And every one of us are ambassadors. We are representatives to this culture and to this uh, citizenship that's around us in today's world. But that's what the church is. We are here as representatives of God under his rule. And we should stand fast, not only for our Lord, but for his church. We should stand fast in its doctrines. Those truths that set us apart, those truths that can never be compromised, those truths that are central to being orthodox in the faith, those truths that are found on the pages of Scripture, there are secondary matters where we may differ, but those primary matters, there can be no room for difference. We stand fast for our Lord and stand fast for his church and in its doctrines, and we stand fast in the mission. There are lots of things that churches are involved in. Lots of things that churches are called to do, but the primary one is the mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. Worthy citizenship means standing fast. It means standing for the faith. It means standing for the truth. Let me, let me put it in some more practical ways. That means to those of you young people that have graduated from high school and you're headed off to college, that means when you get there and you find yourself in a culture unlike one you've ever been in before, and the pressure is on for you to do things that you've never, been, you've never done before, you remind yourself that you are first a citizen of heaven. That young man or that young woman who falls in love with that boy or that girl and thinks that they're going to spend their lives together for the rest of their lives, and the pressure is on now to sleep together or maybe to move in together. But the citizen of heaven says, I stand fast for the morality that's found in the word of the living God. To stand fast means and can mean that sometimes you have to tell a corporate boss that you can't participate in booking nightclubs or hostesses to entertain international clients in their hotel rooms. That's something that you as a citizen of heaven cannot be a party to. Sometimes it may mean withdrawing your children from programs where they're being taught unqualified acceptance of a lifestyle that contradicts the teaching of Scripture. That's what it means to stand fast. It's what it means to have worthy citizenship. Sometimes it means telling a relative or a friend that there's only one way to heaven. 
And that way is the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Though they believe that there are many ways and many roads that lead to heaven, you have to stand up and you have to say, no, there's one way. You see, that's what it means to stand fast. And you can give many other practical illustrations of what I'm talking about. But he says, as citizens of heaven, not just citizens of America, not just for the Philippians, citizens of Rome, as citizens of heaven, one of the worthy ways in which we live out our lives is that we demonstrate that we stand fast for those things that are right and those things that are true. When I think of an illustration of somebody who stood fast, I think of the man Noah in the Old Testament. You've read the story of Noah, so I'm not going to invite you to turn back to Chapter 6, but just listen to some of the things it says. God speaking says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, yet his days shall be 120 years. We assume that it must have taken about 120 years for the building of the ark. Down in verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. But then you get to verse 8, and it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the very next verse says, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Let me ask you a question. How hard was it for Noah to walk with God in an evil age when nobody had a heart for God? How difficult was, was it for him, as the New Testament calls him, to be a preacher of righteousness in an unrighteous generation? How difficult was it for Noah to be building on an ark, something that nobody had ever seen? They'd never seen rain like we think of rain. They'd never seen a boat like this boat. They couldn't comprehend the flood like Noah was talking about. And did you know that Noah was the only, he only ate, I should say, only ate, heard his message and believed him, including Noah, and that was his own family. Can you imagine living in that day? And yet, do you know what Matthew 24 says? As in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day that the Son of Man comes. When we live in a day that's wicked and a day that's evil, citizenship that is worthy is citizenship where we stand fast and we don't compromise and we don't give up the truth and we don't walk away from the things that we know God has told us to do. He says that's worthy citizenship. Philippians, you live in Rome. You're, you're privileged to be Roman citizens. You've got officials that have retired that are living amongst you. Everything about your society you know, shouts that you're Romans. Everything about you from your language to your dress to the money you use. He says, but you're citizens of some place greater than Rome. And that greater place is heaven. And because you're citizens of heaven, you ought to live up to the obligations and the responsibilities of being a heavenly citizen by standing fast for those things that are right. But secondly, he says worthy citizenship means staying united. He says it means staying united. You notice back in verse 27, only let your conduct, your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast here we go in one spirit with one mind one spirit 
with one mind. We're to come together as the citizens of heaven and we're to stand together. We watch what's happening on the streets of America today and we see the division and it causes an ache within the hearts of every single one of us to see that kind of division in our own land. Listen, Matthew 12, 25 says, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. When the unity is gone and the division rises, the destruction of that society isn't far away. When it comes to our heavenly citizenship, we are supposed to be working to make sure that the unity that God has made amongst the body of Christ is protected and guarded and shielded. We have that responsibility. That means sometimes we set aside our preferences in order for our brothers or sisters to be able to express their own. That means sometimes we put on a mask, even though we don't think a mask is necessary, because it's not all about you. It's about all of us as the body of Christ. It's about the stronger brother, sometimes making allowances for the weaker brother that has to be brought along, because we want to stay in unity with one another. You realize that the devil wants to divide God's church? The devil wants to create disunity within the body of Christ. And I suggest to you, we've heard a thousand opinions about what we should do for reopening. You know, the only opinion I'm concerned about is God's opinion. I'm only concerned that we follow what God says and we bring our opinions and our preferences. You know what a conviction is? A conviction is something you die for. A preference is something that you can give up anytime. It's not that big a deal. And we're to stand fast for things that are convictions, things that come out of this book. And we stay united when it comes to things that are preferential. And we don't let them get amongst us and cause division in our ranks. Did you realize that in reality, God has created that unity and our responsibility is to protect it. We're either working to destroy it or we're working to protect it. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep, not create, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me ask you, are the people marching through the streets of America trying to keep the unity of the nation? Are Christians sometimes who are, pref who are pressing their preferences over others, trying to keep the unity of the faith? No, not at all. And yet the Apostle Paul says a worthy citizenship is a citizenship where we stand fast. And a worthy citizenship is where we stay united. That same passage of Scripture from the New Living Translation says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, binding yourselves together with peace. The Romans had a number of very fascinating ways to go about battle. One of them was called the Roman wedge. And they would line the men up in two straight lines and bring them to a point and they would lock their shields along this outside of this line and then one line behind them and they would do the same thing in another. It was called the Roman wedge and they would march forward with their shields interlocked with one another as if to go in and break apart the enemy that faced them. But it was that unity that brought them victory 
Another one of their interesting techniques was they would come together in a large circle and they would take their uh, they would take their shields and they would use them in a 360-degree fashion. They would link, link them together in a 360-degree fashion around the outside of all of them. And then they would take the others and they would use them over the top of them. It looked like a turtle shell. But it was a means of protecting one another. It was a means of keeping unity. And you could imagine if they made any movement in that kind of form, a formation, they had to move together in unity. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be a place where there is unity in the body. There is unity in the body of Christ. Amen? You realize that churches are messy places sometimes. That's because people's lives are messy and their problems are messy. But we come together and we say, you know what? We're all in this together. We're all dysfunctional in some way. And we come together to work together and to stay together and to stay united with one another so that we stay focused on the mission that God has given us to do. I read an interesting illustration about something that we all love, termites. It comes from the New Yorker magazine. Listen to what it says. Termites may be hard to love, but they're easy to admire. Termite mounds can reach as high as 30 feet. Based on their tiny size, that's the equivalent of humans building something twice as tall as the tallest building in the world. That's more than 2,700 feet. I believe it's in Dubai. The interior of a termite mound is an intricate structure of interweaving tunnels and passageways, radiating chambers, galleries, archways, and spiral staircases. To build a mound, termites move vast quantities of mud and water. In the course of a year, 11 pounds of termites can move about 364 pounds of dirt and 3,300 pounds of water. Wow. The point of all this destruction is not to have a place to dwell. The colony lives in a nest six to seven feet below the mud, but to be able to breathe. The mound acts as a lung for the colony, managing the exchange of gases, leveraging small changes in wind speed to inhale and exhale. Termites appear to do all this without any centralized planning. There are no architects, engineers, or blueprints. The termite mound it's, isn't just a building. It's much more like a body, a self-regulating organic process that always reacts to its changing environment. Now listen. Scientists claim that individual termites are not very intelligent. Reminds me of myself. They lack memory and the ability to learn. Put a termite, put a few termites in a petri dish and they wander around aimlessly. Now listen. But put enough termites together in the right conditions and they will build you a cathedral. It's amazing what God's church can do when God's church stands fast for the truth. And when God's church stays together and refuses to allow the things of this world to bring division into the body of Christ. Listen to Psalm 133, verse 1. The psalmist said, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity. 